Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Sunny skies. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, today's guests offer insight into the February shooting death of 25-year-old Ahmaud Aubrey, England County, Georgia. Now that video footage has surfaced. I believe that he was profiled based on the color of his skin. And when you look at that video, it's like they're going on a hunting party. It's like it's reminiscent of an old lynch mob chasing a black man. A conversation with one of the attorneys for Ahmaud Arbery's family, Benjamin Crump. I'll also be joined by former Georgia Chief Justice Leah Ward Sears, WABE's legal analyst and defense attorney Paige Pate. And we'll hear final reflections from Yusuf Salam, one of the exonerated Central Park Five. That's all ahead, but first, here's the latest news on the case. From the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, Director Vic Reynolds announcing yesterday the GBI will take the lead. We've now assigned this case to three of our experienced supervisory level agents. They come from two separate regions and a specialized unit which is located in the third region. We've also decided that this case will be ran from headquarters that will bring to bear every resource and all the experience this agency has in resolving this matter. You know, our goal in every investigation is to seek the truth. and That's exactly what we intend on doing in this matter. Now, we'll have more, obviously, on this case in just a moment. But first, here's the latest information as it relates to the coronavirus here in Georgia. As of today, there are 31,260 confirmed COVID-19 cases. The number of deaths statewide is reported to be 1,335, and there are 5,804 hospitalized. That's all according to the Georgia Department of Public Health, again, as of 1130 a.m. today. Meanwhile, in related news, a coalition of leaders from about 30 regional and local organizations have penned a letter to Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. The Georgia Coalition to Save Lives is requesting a meeting with Governor Kemp regarding the ways to lessen the continuing spread of the COVID-19 disease. And joining me now is attorney Mawa Lee Davis on behalf of the Georgia Coalition to Save Lives. Attorney Davis, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rose. We, I, we appreciate the opportunity to, to share. So let's begin here. You all just pinned this letter. Has it been delivered? When will it be delivered to Governor Kemp? It has been delivered. Uh, we have sent it to Governor Kemp and some of the key players that are working with Governor Kemp uh, late last night. And we're hopeful. In the letter, you all cite concerns that the state needs to tailor and target. I'm going to quote you here quote, life-saving measures to communities of color, the elderly, and within Georgia's extremely vulnerable prison population whose infection and death numbers are increasing rapidly. So you're asking the governor in the governor's office to 
implement what you all call life-saving measures for those particular communities? Absolutely. We we envision a in some ways the the reinstatement of parts of the shelter in place. What what we recognize is that the federal guidelines that suggested a the need for a two-week, 14-day downward trend have really not been met by the state of Georgia and that the medical data and scientific research don't support an opening up of Georgia the way the governor has done so far. And so we want to have that conversation. And the the coalition is very broad-based. We are now up to over 60 organizations from across the country, Hmm. national organizations included, that are are making this call, the National Medical Association, uh, Rainbow Push, um, a number, the National Bar Association. So just not local organizations, but people from around the country that are concerned regarding the plight of uh, of our people here here in the state of Georgia as a rate to COVID-19. You all are calling for a mandate and supply of masks and hand sanitizers in public spaces and in all businesses that bring people into close contact. One might counter Attorney Davis, that's not so easy to do. We know that it's not easy, but the, the other side of this, Rose, is death, more loss of life. And so we we have to really take a different approach, a more intense approach around the protection of life. And we can't pivot so quickly and say, now it's about economic loss when people are still losing loved ones. And the projections, if we reopen too soon, is that more lives will be lost unnecessarily. And it's avoidable and it's preventable. And it's our hope that if we can all have an opportunity to sit at the table, to bring the the medical professionals that are a part of the coalition, public policy, the legislators, the religious community, organizers, all have an opportunity to have their voice heard and the, the millions of people that we represent to sit and work out what is a viable plan. Right now, we haven't had very much input, but our, our communities are the most impacted. Attorney Davis, let me ask you this. Would you all accept a compromise that might include the governor issuing an executive order that says local governments can now make their own decision? Maybe local mayors and city councils, maybe they should make the decision for their own municipality. Would that work? And Rose, I, I hesitate to speak on the, on behalf of the entire coalition because I would really want all of the members to, to make that decision. But I would be very cautious. One of the things that we've seen, if we're honest about the, the response around the country compared to other other countries here in the United States, for us to have uh, such a, a high death rate and mm-hmm. infection rate uh, indicates that there have been some decisions made early on that have really not been as impactful as they could have been if, if we had just moved sooner. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that it can be kind of a hodgepodge approach where this state may close, this state may remain open, um, really doesn't address this is a, a worldwide pandemic okay. that we have to have some uniformity. And we think there needs to be uniformity in the state of Georgia uh, as well as in the country. You all are requesting this meeting for next week. How optimistic are you it will happen? And if it doesn't happen, what's next? We're hopeful. 
to, to have these various organizations, some of these organizations have not ever been in coalition, but we are in such uh, dire straits. People have just come together, set aside any differences and said, we have to work together. We're really hopeful that the, the governor will see with this number of organizations from all across the community that clearly we have community support for the meeting to not meet with us when, when our communities are so impacted uh, would really send a, a message about concern for, for these lives. And we just want an opportunity to, to sit down and present ideas and try to create a way forward that will prevent the loss of life. And one of the things that we think we have to be careful about is just the, doing the numbers game. We, we have to identify and humanize the lives that have been lost. We can't just say that it's this thousand, but these are mothers, grandmothers, fathers, sons, brothers, uncles, and friends, and we have to give face to that. And so those are our intentions to make sure that uh, we continue to recognize the lost loved ones and not just allow this to be money or profits over people. Atlanta-based attorney Mawu Lee Davis, on behalf of the Georgia Coalition to Save Lives, the organization is calling on Governor Brian Kemp for a meeting to talk about lessening the continuing spread of the COVID-19 disease. Attorney Davis, as always, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Stay safe. Thank you, Rose. We appreciate you. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. It's the now surface video that's sparking outrage, protests, and allegations of an attempted cover-up. It was recorded February 23rd of this year. Here's what's not in dispute. 25-year-old Maude Aubrey, a black man, can be seen jogging in a residential neighborhood. Aubrey is being pursued by 64-year-old Greg McMichael, his son Travis, both white, and another individual who is recording the ordeal. The McMichaels are in a pickup truck. There's a scuffle between Aubrey and Travis McMichael after Aubrey is cut off by the truck and then shots are fired. Ahmaud Aubrey falls to the ground. In early statements to the police, the McMichaels said they suspected Aubrey was responsible for break-ins and wanted to make a citizen's arrest. From that day till now, there's a lot of unanswered questions, and now the Georgia Bureau of Investigation will take the lead. We begin today's program with National Civil Rights and Personal Injury Attorney Benjamin Crump, one of the lawyers representing the parents of Ahmaud Aubrey. Attorney Crump is counsel for Aubrey's father, Marcus. Counselor, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rose, and thank you for covering this so important story. Uh, it, it may seem like a silly question, but I do want to ask just how the young man's family, how they're coping. Well, like so many other uh, parents and uh, communities of color who have lost children in unbelievable ways, they are having to grieve while they fight. They can't, they don't have the luxury of just grieving like other parents. They have to fight for justice because they understand if they don't, nothing is going to happen. Counselor, do you believe any charges would have been brought against Greg and Travis McMichael without this video footage being made public? No, I do not. In fact, I think even with the video, there was a concerted effort to sweep it under the rug. 
you have to remember that uh, Matt Michaels was a detective for the district attorney's office in that particular district mm -hmm. for almost 30 years. So there is a relationship there. And so they did not, I believe, want to arrest one of their own. And so they kept kicking the can down the road uh, saying conflict of interest, conflict of interest. And I believe that uh, Ahmaud Aubrey deserves equal justice and respect as if it was any other American rose, any other American. And to that point, counsel, because there are reports that now we, we were hearing the DA was aware of this footage for now maybe more than a month. You know for a fact indeed that that was true, that they knew this video footage w was available. Apparently they notified the family some time ago that the video was available, but you know, the old playbook they always use, it's an ongoing investigation, so we can't release the video. And that's what I think they would have kept saying all along until this anonymous video was leaked somehow to the public. And therefore, we know firsthand that we have to have uh, federal oversight and definitely state oversight because we cannot trust the people in Brunswick, Georgia law enforcement community to do the right thing by Ahmad Aubrey and his family. Well, that leads me to my next question, which was, do you believe then that there should be special prosecution brought in because of the connection with Greg McMichael, again, the longtime investigator with the Brunswick Judicial Circuit and a former Glenn County policeman? Absolutely. I think there should be um, not only state authorities looking at this, but federal authorities, and there should be a special prosecutor uh, because it is the only way to remove the hint of impropriety that exists with you being able to arrest and charge somebody who you have this 30-year relationship with. You see, Ahmad didn't have any relationship with law enforcement, so that should not uh, lead to him not getting equal justice. He shouldn't be punished because he was a young black man that had no connection with law enforcement, and the McMichaels be given privilege because they had a relationship with law enforcement. Do you believe this case also involves perception bias toward a man of color. Absolutely. I believe that he was profiled based on the color of his skin. And when you look at that video, it's like they're going on a hunting party. It's like it's reminiscent of an old lynch mob chasing a black man. Attorney Crump, Governor Brian Kemp did tweet, GBI Director Reynolds has offered resources and manpower to D.A. Durden to ensure a thorough independent investigation into the death of Ahmaud Arbery. He went on to tweet, Georgians deserve answers. State law enforcement stands ready to ensure justice is served. Is there any reassurance for you and your client and Arbery's family based on what the governor tweeted? Uh, we will rest easy when an arrest is finally made. Everything else to us is just lip service. What should those charges be? And does it also include a violation of civil rights? There, there are a lot of people who believe that hate crime charges should be bought. But I think when you look at a minimum at this malice of forethought, which is a element of a murder charge that you had even intent when you 
uh, engaged in and, and ultimately killed the person, that all of that has to be taken into account. And you see, Rose, when they get in a truck with a shotgun, a three fifty-seven, and they say, we're going to chase this young African-American who's jogging with a T-shirt and shorts, you have to ask yourself the question, then why is it that we don't put that with the essential elements of what ultimately happened? Because if the shoe was on the other foot and it was my client Marcus and his father and Ahmad who got in the truck with a shotgun and they had a, a 357 and they went and chased a young white man jogging and killed him, everybody would say that's a murder charge. That's not a manslaughter charge. So we can't have two justice systems in America. They got to be the same justice system, not one for black America and not one for white America. Well, Attorney Crump, you have been involved in two very high profile, notable cases, Trayvon Martin, uh, Michael Brown out of Ferguson, Missouri. Those outcomes, as some would say, those outcomes did not include justice. Absolutely. And so that's why we're trying to hold their feet to the fire. I also uh, represented the family of Corey Jones, and this gives me some optimism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Corey Jones, who was killed in Palm Beach, Florida, by a police officer who claimed stand your ground. And we had the audio tape uh, that contradicted what he said. And then in Marquise McLaughlin's case in Clearwater, Florida, another white man killed an unarmed black man in front of his little children. And, uh, you, you know, he said, stand your ground, and the jury with that video convicted him and put him away for 25 years. And Corey Jones, they got put away for 25 years. And then we represented Botham Jones in Dallas, Texas, uh, against Amber Geiger, who shot him in his own apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jury convicted her, and she was sentenced to 10 years. So I'm cautiously optimistic that there is a trend lately not always, but lately, that from the cases that I've uh, been involved in and represented, that I see juries, if you got ocular proof, if you got uh, objective evidence, they have not let the DA's uh, lack of uh, zeal to prosecute these uh, killers who were non-people of color for killing people of color get away with it. They won't let them pull the wool over their eyes. So I am cautiously optimistic with this video that they're going to be held accountable. And we just now need an arrest today. Other than the McMichaels, any other concerns you have about who else should be held accountable? Well, I think if this person... If there was a conspiracy to cover up this footage here. Yes, I think any and everybody who may have been involved in this murder in any way should be held accountable. We suspect the person who took the video was with the McMichaels and should be uh, charged with aiding and abetting if they saw the crime happen and did nothing to report it. Meanwhile, as we wrap up, Counselor, are you also conducting your own investigation with people in the community? Certainly, Attorney Lee Merritt, my co-counsel and I, we have uh, dispatched our investigators to try to find uh, ear and eyewitnesses that purport everything we saw in that video to fill in whatever uh, cracks that 
remain. But I think the most important uh, evidence is that video one and two, the statements made by the McMichaels, because if those statements are not consistent with what we see in the video, then that gives us even further motive that they should be convicted of murder. You reviewed the police report with their statements? Yeah, but we there are some more statements that they've given that we have not been made privy to. Any idea why? Uh, the old playbook, Rose, they say it's an ongoing investigation. In fact, they are threatening if they find out who leaked the video to arrest them. And who is they? The Glenn County uh, Police Department? The, the district attorney and the law enforcement agencies who are over this investigation because it says it prejudices it uh, will prejudice their investigation. And if this does go to trial, then Attorney Crump, the likelihood of it being held anywhere where people may not be aware of this, odds are it won't be held in Brunswick County or Glenn County. Well, we don't know. Uh, obviously, we think it should be held in a neutral place. But most importantly, what we want is a diverse jury. National Civil Rights and Personal Injury Attorney Benjamin Crump. He's one of the lawyers representing the parents of Ahmaud Arbery. Attorney Crump is counsel for Arbery's father, Marcus. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rose. And please continue to cover this important story. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. We continue today's program regarding the shooting death of 25-year-old Ahmaud Arbery down near Brunswick, Georgia. Now, we just heard from Ben Crump, the attorney representing Arbery's father in the case. And I'm now joined by WABE's legal analyst and defense attorney, Paige Pate. Paige, as always, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Rose. Happy to be with you. Now, Paige, you have an office in Brunswick, correct? I do. That's where I am now. Uh, I spend most of my time in Glenn County these days. Can you even describe for us the tone of, of the county, of the community right now? Yeah, and that's a great question. I mean, just yesterday, literally across the street from my office, there were protests, maybe 100-plus folks who were at the courthouse. Um, people are upset. People are very concerned. And I think initially there wasn't a lot of attention paid to the case. Um, there tends to be uh, a certain expectation here that, you know, if you're committing some sort of crime and, and you, you know, somebody goes after you and there's a struggle and, and you get shot, then maybe you got what you deserved. And most people, I don't think, understood all the facts of the case. But once that video came out, things changed dramatically. Uh, there really wasn't two sides to the issue anymore. It now seems overwhelmingly clear uh, that the use of the force that day, the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery, was not legally justified. And so people are concerned that there's not going to be 
a full, uh, thorough and independent investigation. Uh, but we were relieved just the other day to learn that the GBI is taking over from the Glenn County Police Department. Mm -hmm. And that does help. So I think people are optimistic going forward. There's going to be a good investigation. Um, but right now, people are upset. And speaking of the investigation, and this here's what we know so far, Paige, because as you mentioned, now with this video that has surfaced, there are reports that the district attorney's office, as well as the Glenn County Police Department, knew about this video but sat on it. Now, are there any potential legal consequences for anyone who might be found culpable, culpable in trying to cover this up by not releasing the video? Well, not releasing the video would not, not itself be the basis for um, any civil suit, um, I don't think, uh, or any criminal charges. I mean, law enforcement during the course of an investigation, they can keep evidence close to the chest. You know, they don't have to show their cards. Um, but if there was anything done that was an affirmative act to cover up the case or to make false statements, I do believe that there were some statements made initially to Mr. Arbery's family about what happened to him mm -hmm. uh, by the police department that may have been flat out wrong, false, intentionally false. That could present some concerns, but not disclosing evidence, that's not going to be enough, I don't think, to create any liability on behalf of the city. Paige, should the district attorney's office ask the GBI to investigate early anyway because of the circumstances with the father, Greg McMichael, and his ties to Glenn County Police Department and the district attorney's office? No question. Absolutely no question. Uh, it, it was concerning that they would even begin the investigation and act as if they should be investigating the case when Mr. McMichael's father, Mr. George McMichael, had worked there uh, for many years and then worked in the DA's office for decades. Uh, they were way too close to the case. Uh, they had a clear conflict of interest, so they should have never initiated the investigation. Um, and the DA, uh, I think correctly, immediately recused herself, mm -hmm. but then sent it to another office. Well, she didn't send it, but it, it ended up in another office just north of here um, where that district attorney had relationships in the Brunswick DA's office. So it, it was not a good start to the investigation. It should have immediately been referred to the GBI. And Paige, let's talk about process here. If a grand jury needs to hand up indictments here, but can the McMichaels be detained or arrested? What's the process here? Right. Well, there are several different ways that it could work. If the officer who initially arrived on the scene had probable cause to arrest Travis McMichaels, he could have been taken into custody that very day. And then a judge could later issue an arrest warrant then he would have to apply for bond and be released or not released up until the point the grand jury considered the case for an indictment. So yes, he could have been arrested at the time this happened, but he wasn't. Can he be arrested now before the grand jury meets? Yes. Uh, the GBI or the district attorney who's now been assigned to the case, and that's Tom Durden out mm -hmm. of uh, Hinesville, which is just a little bit, I don't know, north or, or east of here, however you measure it, he could seek an arrest warrant from a judge, get that warrant signed, have Travis McMichael arrested. Again, same issue as to bond, maybe release him, maybe not, pending a final determination from the grand jury as to whether he should be formally charged. 
but it appears that everybody's going to wait. There's not going to be an arrest until after the grand jury considers the case, which won't be until after the GBI finishes its investigation. And given the current situation here with impaneling grand juries due to the coronavirus, no one knows how long this is going to take. Paige, I want to shift for a moment and talk about this notion of citizen's arrest. And can you dissect this for our, our, our listening audience, what it's supposed to mean and obviously how sometimes it gets taken out of context. No, no, look, it, it's a great question. And, and let me try to lay that out because everyone's like, are you kidding me? I mean, you can get in a pickup truck and chase somebody down with a shotgun when you think they may have, you know, been walking around an abandoned house. First of all, no, you, you can't do that. Um, Georgia law does allow a citizen to make an arrest, a private citizen, when they have seen a crime committed in their presence, or if it's a felony, they have really good cause to believe a crime has been committed and the guy's trying to get away. That law was intended to apply mostly to places like Walmart and Target. If they think somebody's shoplifting, they can detain them so they don't run out of the store until the police arrive and can investigate the case. They're trying to use it in this situation, or at least the district attorney in Waycross suggested it could be used because there's some fuzzy argument that maybe Mr. Arbery was walking through a house under construction or had previously been in the neighborhood and suspected of some burglaries. That does not authorize somebody to get in the truck, chase him down with a shotgun even if that's what they were doing. And remember this whole citizen's arrest thing, that's not what the McMichael said at the time the shooting occurred. This is some defense that was created mm -hmm. by the Waycross DA when he was like, I don't see anything here worth prosecuting. So I don't know that it's the defense they would have used. It's certainly the defense a lawyer would try to use, but I don't think it applies. Paige, we've seen so many cases like this in our nation and to not bring in race Although some would say, well, it's not always about race, but Benjamin Crump, the attorney for uh, Ahmaud Arbery's father, suggested that they purposely chased him because they saw a black man jogging in this neighborhood. Well, I mean, we don't have to speculate about that. I mean, one of the calls to 911, and we don't know who made it yet, was there's a black man running through the neighborhood, and then there are these shouts right afterwards stop, hold on, stop. So, you know. Uh, was that an attempt to identify him to law enforcement? I mean, law enforcement wasn't even there. The only reason I think the McMichaels are saying they had a right to pursue him to begin with is because he was this black man that was in the neighborhood at some point prior. So, you know, only the McMichaels know what was in their mind when they were chasing him down and when Travis shot him. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think there's certainly good reason to suspect that there are other than lawful motives that were present in this case. And Paige, as we wrap up for our audience, let's be really clear about what the possible next steps are. The GBI will investigate. Will they then give their findings to the district attorney and then the DA's office will file the charges? Because the GBI, they won't be able to file charges, correct? That's exactly right. And that's a, that's a great, great point. Um, the GBI, and look, I, I've worked with the GBI against the GBI uh, for many years, and it's a good organization. As far as law enforcement agencies, it's professionally run. Vic Reynolds, who's the chief over there, uh, long career, uh, both on the defense side and the prosecution side. Uh, you can trust him. They're going to do a good job, but they can't charge him. It's not going to be their decision. They will collect the evidence. They'll turn it over to Tom Durden 
who is the elected DA a few counties over, and he will ultimately decide what he's going to do with the case. Now, he said he's going to take it to a grand jury, but you and I both know that can mean many different things. Mm-hmm. Grand jury is a secret process. He could call one witness and not put up enough evidence so that they won't indict, or he could do a full, thorough hearing uh, and let the grand jury actually decide. So we'll wait until that happens, and then the grand jury will say yes or no. And I bet Tom Durden will accept that. If they find insufficient probable cause and don't indict him, he won't be charged. If they do, then they likely will charge WABE legal analyst Paige Pate, thank you for taking the time. This is something that we'll obviously be following. Closer Look continues now with this special program today regarding the shooting death of 25-year-old Ahmaud Aubrey in Glen County, Georgia. Now, Aubrey was killed February 23rd in a neighborhood just outside of Brunswick. It's making international headlines now after a video was leaked to a local radio station. And while no formal charges have been brought, questions regarding whether or not Ahmaud Aubrey's civil rights were violated. And also, what merits federal hate crime charges? Well, I'm joined now by former Georgia Supreme Court Chief Justice Leah Ward Sears. Justice Sears, as always, thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me, Rose. You of all people I know know the definition of civil rights violation, but for our listening audience who may be wondering, when we talk about this definition of violating one's civil rights, what are we talking about here? When you're talking about violating uh, a person's civil rights, you're basically talking about the constitutional rights that everyone is guaranteed under the Constitution of the United States and also the state. Uh, The right to life, liberty, property, uh, you know, all of those various rights that is a citizen of the United States. Could murder or attempted murder or any type of action that involves physical assault or anything of that nature, could that qualify as a civil rights violation? Yes, absolutely, because you have the right to life, liberty, etc. And if you losing your life is uh, particularly by a state actor, generally when Rose, when we talk about a civil rights violation, mm-hmm. we're talking about a, a state actor, a, a police officer, mm-hmm. a prison, the United States government, the state government, the mm-hmm. right to fair house, sure. uh, the right to a good school, uh, the right to not have segregation, to eat in a restaurant. In this case, I think we're really talking about a hate crime. Mm-hmm. Georgia has no hate crime. It, there are only four states that that have no uh, hate crime state statutes, and Georgia is one. And of course, there is the federal mm-hmm. hate crime statute, which can which is often invoked and c- comes into states, particularly states like ours. Justice Sears, have you viewed the video that has now gone viral of Ahmaud Arbery's shooting death? I did. I it came out an evening, uh, during the evening, a couple of nights ago, I could not watch it. I've watched so many of those videos of black men being shot down by police officers or, or other people. So I waited the next morning. Can I ask what went through your mind? Rage, uh, like, it, like, like always, just outright rage that some people feel that 
they can take somebody's life. I mean, even if, even if this young man, Ahmad, had, was taking something, but to run somebody down with a, a, a shotgun and a, a magnum pistol and to tell them they needed to stop and then to shoot them because you didn't, you weren't happy because they didn't stop. You know, I like to think that we are living in an, a, a world, and I know that's not true, where race and racism is no longer a factor. Racism doesn't exist, but I know we, we don't live in such a country. And it's just wham in your face every few months, you know, this happens or that happens. And, and uh, it, it hurts. I have a son. I have a husband. I have, my husband's afraid to walk in. Uh, we live in Buckhead now in, in Atlanta, Georgia, and he's afraid sometimes he's dark-skinned, black man, afraid to go walking in the evening because uh, somebody might shoot him or rough him up. He's 80 years old. They, he watches the clothes he wears. It's just too much. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to just talk on like that. You're but fine. I You're yeah, fine. I got a son. He doesn't live with me. Is he imperiled? Is my daughter going to get roughed up on the belt line? It's uh, too much. I'm tired of it. I've lived this way since the year I was born in 1955, and I'm tired of it. There are some calling for Governor Kemp's involvement to ensure this case goes to a grand jury immediately. But we have to talk about process here. Does the governor hold any power to ensure this? I don't think that this governor has the power. Of course, the governor has all this moral and persuasive power, and he can and should, and I hope will use it. I do know that the Attorney General, Chris Carr, Mm -hmm. does have the power to certify this under the Federal Hate Crimes Act. And I think it's, I, I believe it's the Attorney General who has that power, not the governor. Through your lens, Justice Sears, and, and there's a lot of narrative from folks and, and the attorneys from Ahmaud Arbery's family citing a resemblance to lynchings of the past and how the judicial system has failed victims. And this is 2020, right. as you just mentioned, and you said, you know, right. I'm tired of this. But what is your hope as it relates to due process and also the rights of the victim here? That it is a fair process, that due process prevails. I don't know if most people realize that this, but you can't talk about a specific outcome. That's not what due process is about. Due process is about the process being fair. I know the first DA down there recused herself, I think properly so. The second person, DA, who got the matter, finally recused himself after putting out some kind of unusual letter I'll just or note or something like mm-hmm. that saying there was no probable cause or something like that which clearly there is I know that the third DA from the Atlantic Circuit has it and he is saying that this will go to a grand jury of course the uh, McMichaels should be arrested and they should be in jail awaiting trial or out on bond or something like that That would all include due process. A trial would be held. Jurors would be called in. Of course, we've got a pandemic going on, and that's causing a problem because we can't summon all these people who have to come in. So we're going to have to take that into account, too. But at some point, uh, this process needs to be carried out. Mm. 
former Georgia Supreme Court Chief Justice Leah Ward-Sears. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Rose. And stay healthy and safe. I will do my best. You too. Okay, thank you. Same here. All right. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Youssef Salam knows all too well what happens when racism intersects with what's supposed to be justice. As a team, Salon was among the five New York City teens wrongfully accused and imprisoned for the 1989 rape of a white woman in Central Park. Youssef Salon served nearly seven years for a crime he did not commit. The group of teens, now men and fathers themselves, are called the Exonerated Five. Youssef Salon, welcome to the program. I really appreciate it. Good to talk to you again. Oh, great to talk to you as well. And I am excited to be here. You know, these are troubling times, not just because of Mm COVID-19, but because racism is still alive and sick. And we need to do something. We need to do everything that we can about it. I mean, to, to, to constantly see the atrocities, it, it, in a way, I think, it is trying to have us live in a state of constant fear. But I want people to understand that we can never give up hope in our own liberation, in our own true justice, freedom, and equality. Yusef, you've viewed the video of Ahmaud Aubrey and the whole ordeal, correct? I did, and, and unfortunately, you know, I viewed the video numerous times because I was trying to understand how was this video captured. I was trying to figure out, was this just a, a, a mere by chance situation where somebody just was riding down the road and happened to videotape or turn their video camera on and all of a sudden they captured this, this murder on film. And... As you scrub through this video in slow motion, it tells a really disturbing story. Very, very disturbing. Um, I know that there are great minds that are analyzing it. I know that there are legal teams that are looking at uh, ways to challenge uh, whatever defense the defense is going to put on. Because unfortunately, we live in a country where when you're black and brown, you're always seen as guilty and having to prove yourself innocent. Unfortunately, you, you're, you're, you're seen as a person who has all of the cards stacked against you. Ah. You, along with the four other, at the time, teens, back in 1989, you all were seen as suspects and then you were seen as guilty you were convicted. And yes. so when you hear the circumstances surrounding Ahmaud Arbery and, and what we do know, and it's been verified, that the McMichaels, Greg and Travis, considered him a suspect in a string of burglaries. Yes. And then took it upon themselves to, as they put it, make a citizen's arrest. And a lot of folks, Yusef, say that's problematic in itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is what what is this now? Vigilante justice? That's hugely problematic. 
you have dedicated most of your life since your incarceration and, and being released and then being exonerated. You have dedicated your life, as long as some of your, your fellow friends there, to being an advocate for criminal justice reform. But where do you go with something like this, Yusef? Because we're not talking about law enforcement in a sense, but we are talking about um, folks taking law into their own hands here. We, we, we're talking about the conversation that we have been having since we were brought over here on the shores of North America against our will. And I want to say America, really, the Americas, and really around the world against our will out of Africa. We're talking about what happens when there should be law and order. There should be a criminal justice system. But there is now and has been the criminal system of injustice for black and brown folks. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about when they freed the slaves, they put a clause in that allowed for slavery to continue by another name as we see in the powerful book and work by Michelle Alexander. We're talking about the new Jim Crow. We're talking about the 13th Amendment. We're talking about the concept that when people who are not of your race see you, they say all black people look alike. And so here's a young man jogging, exercising while black. There's been people who've been driving while black. There's another video that came out just the other day about a young man driving while black, unfortunately running from the cops. Um, there are so many examples replete with the evidence of this unjust reality that we face in America. This is what we're talking about. This is a conversation that has so many different facets, but its root is in white supremacy, white male dominance. That being the case, that's something you believe, and we've heard this before, many facets, but is there really one solution? The solution may be simple. Folks say, just don't be racist or don't do racist things, whatever, however you define racist things. You have spent many years studying. Um, you're now Dr. Youssef Salam. Someone said you can't, can you really fix racism? Or do you fix? Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. There is no way to fix racism because there will always be a people who will be hell bent on evil. And so if we're talking about trying to, trying to fix it, we have some spiritual wickedness in high and low places that speaks to that reality that we can't undo. Someone listening says, well, Yusef Salam, how do we combat that? How do we counter that? Is it through exercising our right to vote? Is it through demanding uh, more civil rights legislation, more human rights legislation? Is it, where do we begin? Well, I'm gonna tell you, it's all of that. See, we have to understand, when it, so even something as simple as voting, we have to understand that non-participation in the voting process is participation. It's just that deep. And it's important because as my good friend Raymond Santana always says, we have to occupy everywhere 
if we want really to change this unjust reality that we are living in, this nightmare that we are living in, we want the American dream, but we've woken up and we are experiencing the American nightmare. If we want to change that, we have to occupy everywhere. And more importantly, we have to become like the spook who sat by the door, who never alters, never gives up their true goal, keeps their eyes on the prize and is, and is focused. Because if somebody can tempt you out of and away from the true goal by giving you more money, by giving you a better lifestyle, by allowing you to sell out your people, then we will be always in a state of the uphill battle, which we won't be able to win. But right now, just in terms of sheer numbers, if all the people, which has never happened, if all the people participated in the voting process, change will come tomorrow. But we have to believe that our unity, as Farrakhan would say, is more powerful than an atomic bomb. We have to understand that. And from every level, that means that there's some of us who's going to, like Raymond Santana says, have to be the trumpet uh, players. There's some of us that's going to have to be at the state legislation tables. There's some of us who are going to have to be the people who sweep the streets. But like Dr. King says, that if your position in life is that you want to be a street sweeper, do it as if God himself called you to that position right here at this moment in time. Mm -hmm. Do it as if no one can say that there was a better street sweeper than you. Sweep the streets, as he said, like Beethoven composed music, Michelangelo painted pictures, and Leotom Price sang mm -hmm. at the opera. This is how we have to be. We don't have an opportunity to say, you know what, I'll, I'll get to that later. Because when you put your later on hold, when you put your now rather on hold, it begins to become a someday. That someday will never happen. And at the end of your life, you will be filled with so much regret because of all of the things that you could have done, but you never did. And Yusuf, I always like to take the opportunity to educate our audience. You mentioned the spook who sat by the door for folks that don't know. That's actually based on a, a novel and a movie. Now it's viewed as being exceptional. When it first came out, it wasn't. But if you haven't checked it out, you might want to. You might want to check it out. Yusef, you have always, to my knowledge, you've reached out to families who have tragically suffered some similar event as to what happened with Ahmad Aubrey. Will you reach out, or have you reached out to his family? I have not yet, but I've been watching. And I know that there's great pain and hurt that's going on right now. But I am in, in touch with people from the community mm -hmm. who are reaching out and who are trying to assist. And I hope that they feel our spirit, our collective spirit, in wanting true justice for this young man. Because she, his mother, now becomes in the same league as a Mamie Till. Mm-hmm. In the same way, I mean, everyone who has lost their sons to violence in this way is now a part of this, this social club that they never wanted to be a part of. I'm thinking about the mother of Sean Bell. I'm thinking about the mother of Tamir Rice, of Trayvon Martin. All of the people that we can list and not list who have lost their lives in these tragic ways. This is, 
we are now we are now collecting ourselves to push forward and to be with whether physically spiritually or mentally the people so that we can make change happen and i and even though i say that we can't change this and can't change that i don't want folks to under i don't i don't want to want to take away the power that we have as a people and make people think that we shouldn't try because our job is to try our job is to fight back. Our job is to push back. Our job is to understand that they use the law for their, um, at their whims. And we need to understand law. We need to understand who we are. We need to understand where we are. And most certainly we need to, we need to understand how we are. We gotta always stay on point as I tell my children, always. Youssef Salam. Served nearly seven years for a crime he did not commit. Part of the group of teens who are now men and fathers themselves. Now we call them the Exonerated Five. Youssef Salon, thank you for taking the time adding commentary to in today's program. I really appreciate it. It is my pleasure. And unfortunately, we are talking about this. And I'm just hoping that tomorrow we're not talking about something else, something similar. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.